what I'm experiencing on my end. I think that you have the right, you're on the right side of the matrix. Hopefully. That's where I try to be. <laughs> uh, okay, wait, have we already started or should we just like start? We should just start. Okay. I mean, we're recording, so. Yeah. Welcome, Welcome back, back to the experts. This is our second to last Conjuring episode. That is right. We are um, making our way through the series. We're on the sixth movie of the official Conjuring universe. Yeah. However, we've watched seven because we threw a haunting in Connecticut in there. Which is a super I'm really happy we made. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy that we made that decision. It felt necessary. Yeah. Um, yes. Re- dear listener, please stay tuned. We, we're bringing you something really special. We're not even done dealing with haunting in Connecticut. Like haunting in Connecticut is like a whole other podcast, really. But today we're talking about another movie in the series, La Llorona, the curse La of La Llorona. What did you say? The curse of La Llorona. Yeah. What a journey it was. Okay. One thing about this movie is in my mind, it came out like years ago, but it yeah. came out like in 2019. That was shocking for me to realize as well. And I think speaks to just the complete um, lack of reality in terms of like time passing. <laughs> Yeah, that that movie came out the same year as Annabelle is so surprising to me. Annabelle, uh, the final Annabelle. The- Annabelle Comes Home. Yes, Annabelle. this came out early in 2019. It premiered at South by Southwest in March 2019. And then I think Annabelle Comes Home came out towards the, later in the year. I'm shocked. I guess that's just because it's an instant classic. It just feels timeless. It's technically set in the 70s, but I barely got that. And I also have to say it has, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it has pretty much nothing to do with the rest of the movies at all. It re- No, it does. It Yeah, it really does. <laughs> it doesn't even have like a tie-in at the end. Nothing at all. It almost sort of feels like it was just a horror movie that somebody made and then someone was like no one's gonna watch this let's just like slap a conjuring label on it I think that that's actually exactly what happened because the writing duo who wrote the movie Mickey Daughtry and her writing partner Tobias 
Iacanis. I don't know how to pronounce his name. They um, they also wrote that movie Five Feet Apart. I think that's like a streaming movie. Oh, but they oh, like yeah. had scripts like come up on the blacklist, and then they pitched. They like developed this with somebody, and they pitched out a movie called The Children that was about a social worker investigating the death of two kids and then fears for her own two children. And mm-hmm. that was being produced by that guy, Gary Doberman, who directed the last uh, movie that we watched. So when there, I found this Deadline um, article from 2017 that says that New Line bought it and fast-tracked it, but they didn't actually announce that this was a Conjuring tie-in until south by so i wonder if they developed it and then they were like you should add this lay on and then we'll like put it under the umbrella of these movies because the guy who directed this movie is now directing conjuring three the devil made me do it that's great yeah that's sort of what it felt like i mean it did have like the perfect like it it checked all the boxes like it's sort of it's sort of catholic it's got a a demon entity thing i mean and it was like obviously a huge departure, but so the one problem I think I have with it as a true conjuring head is that now we've established that like all of the bad guys in the conjuring movies are demons. There's no such things there's no such thing as ghosts. There's only God and the devil, and everything that seems like a ghost is really just the devil trying to steal your soul. Okay. But La Llorona is straight up a ghost. Like she is she's a, a she's an evil ghost, but her whole backstory is ghost stuff. There's no reveal where it's like, oh no, like this is a, actually a demon from hell pretending to be La Llorona, which is what like something that was written for the Conjuring universe, I think would actually do. You know, since we've talked about it so much um, and watching all these movies in a row, I wondered if there was going to be a Bathsheba tie-in here if like there was more of a like this is the demon this is like the Lilith type demon who you know has to like cannibalize her own children or you know whatever the like murder her yeah. offspring but they didn't yeah I mean, not it. no because I think that the movie was probably like fully completed before they decided it was going to be a conjuring movie that's my guess but like they there was no yeah, she's got strong Bathsheba vibes, like killing your kids, like that's a Bathsheba thing. Um, but this is like its own thing. And it's also like a real like folktale in Mexico, according to a Vanity Fair article that I read, which is cool. Yeah, it um it goes back quite a long way, and there are other like folk tales and myths like this in other cultures around the world there's yeah it reminded me of the Medea story yes which it's is like pretty si- like they're those stories are pretty similar right she had a yeah. great love and had two children by him and then he had a wandering eye so she killed their babies to punish him yeah but then I think she like goes off and like lives a great life or something <laughs> it's like that's she... lizzie borden <laughs> yeah exactly she's just she's like, like well, well now i'm free <laughs> finally free yeah she's just like really bad <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that is really bad. I was surprised Ah. with like the kid killing stuff in this movie. Actually, I didn't think that it would really go there, but they show like (laughs) when they when they show like the two little bodies like covered in little. Yeah, I was like, oh no. I know it's really tragic when they give you like the perspective when it's like the the adults in the foreground and then like the two small. I definitely felt that in the back of the two small bodies in the background yeah um I really like the uh flashback beginning of this that was like 1673 and then you see the story play out although they do it in a way that it's it's like a like non-linear like the little boy closes his eyes and then like time jumps forward and he can't find his mother and his brother and then he does oh yeah I guess yeah I mean yeah I liked the um it was like the movie has like a small preface where they show you what happens and then like later sort of halfway through the movie a priest explains the rest and kind of fills in the blanks for you even though you pretty much get it (laughs) from yeah from beginning um was that yeah it was the priest whose father Perez and Annabelle oh okay so So, that's good wow this really has a little um corner of the market playing a priest who fights Satan I mean that's good that's good yeah Tony Amendola he was also in Lone Star by John Sayles um so that's a connection but (laughs) Oh, and yeah, he's also on Stargate. And you could do that in a reshoot. Um, you could do what in a reshoot? The scene with the priests. It's like, how can we connect these movies? Oh, yeah. Uh, I feel like this movie, again, like we said, is like completely out of step with the Conjuring universe. And it's like almost hard to talk to talk about because the rest of them are like part of a piece, even if that is... even if it's sort of like meandering and not always like totally logical or whatever they're all contributing to this like universe that they're creating where like at least there's something where they'll go back to the warren's hall of horrors they'll go back to like a moment where a warren saw something and then that's here's the backstory of this thing that they saw like there's some sort of connection this one obviously is really different i guess it has thematic ties to the rest of the franchise it doesn't really like it it doesn't really have any of those like practical connections like characters um right even the the demon or like the bad entity carrying over from something else even like a flashback at the end like there's like absolutely nothing like that in this movie I'm surprised they didn't try to get the Warrens involved in some way or another yeah because another another tie-in with the other Conjuring movies is that it's set in the right time period like it's set in the 70s although it's set in Los Angeles. Yes. And all of the Conjuring movies are set in on in the East Coast. Yeah, we um, know that they don't cross the Mississippi. 
Ed and Lorraine. No, but they do cross the pond to Merry Old England and The Conjuring too. That's right. But they will not go far uh, west. <laughs> no, no, no. They <laughs> they know what they like, and it's not the West. Um, there could be some sort of sequel where what was happening. This is what's happening on the West Coast while the Warrens are on the East Coast. The, this is like outside of the Warrens' jurisdiction, where you know they don't have help from the Warrens. I don't know, and they have to use like this other priest. I wonder if Raymond Cruz, the guy who, um, uh, like, is their guide for the last third of the movie, whatever, who like does all the spells. I wonder if he's yeah. going to be involved in um, the Devil Made Me Do It is oh yeah I mean that would be a good crossover because I feel like he's kind of his own he's his own version of the Warrens like he's an expert on spooky stuff he's a tough guy he's not afraid he doesn't have a wife no and he says he's like he's like I I split with the church I don't agree with the church I left the church behind God I will never leave behind he like draws a clear mm. distinction. Like he is a believer. He's a man of faith in God, but the, the, the church has done him dirty. Yeah. And a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. So probably a lot of people. Feel that way. Yeah. There was also a moment that I thought spoke to my conspiracy theory about what Ed and Lorraine Warren were up to. Like my belief that they were just using their, uh, business and like little storytelling machine that they created in Connecticut to like spread the word of Jesus and to like get more people to turn Christian. Um, at the very beginning, um, they're like smudging people at the church with like sage or something. And the priest says something like, I don't know if this is real, but if they believe in that, then they'll definitely believe in this and then he looks at the church so basically I felt like that was kind of an interesting moment in this movie where they're sort of admitting okay like maybe this stuff isn't real but it's just we really want you to be Christian basically and so if this is what gets you to accept it like any by any means necessary right and that me those means might be getting a little getting scared yeah well they're kind of they are all basically scaring you like even if it's not you're scared of like a literal devil coming into your house and possessing you or killing your kids you'd be scared of like going to hell when you die or like displeasing god and being like kept out of the kingdom of heaven or whatever like i feel like a lot of it is fear-based with like not just christianity like all religions yeah it's um a very effective tool for getting people to behave and obey yeah and and will we ever be free of it i don't know i don't know but i do think controlled fear in the situation of horror movies is always a good idea <laughs> it's a great outlet it's cathartic. It is. <laughs> um what did you think of linda cardellini in this movie I thought she was great. I think she's a great actress. I love her. I don't feel like she's, I wish she was in more things. I couldn't agree more. I was so happy to see her in this. I felt like she really held it all down. She was so believable and strong. It's like, 
a recently widowed single mother of two working full time. <laughs> She's just like so solid. Like, yeah, every, you know, you you just like believe her. Yeah. And she's, he can feel sad without feeling like totally fragile and helpless. You know, she, she walks a really great line. Yeah. She's always like a surprisingly good, um, like showcase for her. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely, she's always been able to do that. She, she's always had that quality Mm -hmm. of like, I think that what made that's what made her like so great as like a high school student that she felt like at the same time like she was very vulnerable but you could see her like trying to not be which is like what like adolescence is and she just carried that really well and she like still does like I saw it like in her as a mother in this movie I, I think she's really good at it I think so too uh I love Freaks and Geeks. I haven't watched that series in a long time, but it might be fun to revisit it. I would love to revisit it, actually. Um, I think that they just released all of it on, like, Hulu. I had the DVDs for a really long time, but, like, God knows where they are now. Yeah, God, remember having DVDs of entire series of yeah shows. I had DVDs of all of that I had like Seinfeld I had a couple of Simpsons I had um yeah, the like Sopranos. The West Wing. The so- oh I had the whole Sopranos Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh my god what the hell I do not own stuff like that anymore what happened to those box sets do you still have them or are they like long gone they're long gone I mean um well the Sopranos one wasn't actually mine but I mean, most of them, who knows? It's just like moving from place to place. Who knows what ends up happening to stuff? I know. I no and every, one, every once in a while, I will like get fixated on some book that I had like 10 years ago. And I'll be like, where is this book? Where did it go? And like, you can't find it. And then you, you're trying to like retrace your steps through apartments and years and cities like where did I last see this one book (laughs) and it's like I know and you always are like I should get rid of things I don't need to keep these things forever and you should but then every once in a while it does come back and you're like it's so weird how you're like I feel at this age all of a sudden like I I forgot so many things about what my life used to be like like aspects of my adult life I can't remember which is like crazy to me now you know what I mean like yeah I was fine with like kind of not remember being hazy on childhood but when you're like hazy on like 26 that's like holy shit <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean yeah yeah that um do you keep a journal no I've never been very good at journaling it might be I don't know it might be a way to help like jog memories or maybe well who knows something to think about I know do you play brain games sometimes I want to have like I want like a good app I'm sure that one exists maybe one that would like to advertise with us the experts oh yeah Instagram and fun and Twitter (laughs) I have one I don't know if it's a real brain game or not but I love my favorite nighttime activity is to take a nice little cap 
a nightcap of Z-Quill. Ooh. Get under the covers. Blast an audiobook of Twilight and play this like game on my phone until I can't keep my eyes open and then like go under the waves of darkness. And that's how I do it. But you you can't take the Z quill every night, but I can do the other things every night. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that you're listening to the book or does it become sort of like meditative noise? Meditative noise for sure. I'm not really listening to it. I, I love falling asleep to audiobooks and I never know like what's in them because I fall asleep and then like I'll wake up and it'll be like, I don't, I don't know how many pages or chapters later. Cause it's like, I can't see it. I don't know where it is. It's just like, I, I've never made it all the way through. I just like fall asleep, wake up. And then you can listen to it every single night and never hear the same thing twice. Cause you don't know what's going on. <laughs> Because you're not paying attention. <laughs> no, not exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that sounds lovely. Yeah. Um. Okay. Three. So we start in 1673 in Mexico. We already mm-hmm. talked about it, and then it jumps ahead 300 years. We're in Los Angeles, like we said. Linda from Freaks and Geeks mother of two she's a a caseworker she has a client that she's been invested in this woman's life for like the last four years there's trouble over at the house she goes to the house and it is not what she expected no it's not what anybody (laughs) ever would have expected (laughs) Unless if you've seen Annabelle and then you're like, I recognize this. So there's like a closet and it's covered in these charcoal drawings of eyeballs and it's all over the door and it looks kind of awesome. Like somebody was on mushrooms and (laughs) went crazy with the tools at hand. (laughs) But inside (laughs) the closet are two little boys who look ill. And it seems like clearly there's some kind of child abuse situation going on. Yeah. right she yes so she like promises to protect them takes them away and uh she inadvertently makes them vulnerable to la yorona yeah i think and that is how basically that's like then then it's like oh linda uh has the guilt of like thinking she was protecting these boys and they were killed. The mother has an alibi. So we know that it's not her. We don't know yet that it's this like ghost that's stalking children because she wants to like hold on to the kids that she herself killed 300 years previous. Yeah. And the kids keep saying she did it. She's the one who hurt me. And nobody bothers to ask. They're very vague about it. And yeah, nobody bothers to ask. Nobody bothers to ask until suddenly, well, finally she does ask and they say, no, it's not our mom. It's a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) So because because she's a single mom, her, her husband had been a cop and there's nobody to watch the kids when she goes to find these boys 
like washed up dead, she brings her children and tells them to like lay low in the backseat of the car, which they do not do. They end up, uh, the boy, too curious, because he like wants to cosplay as a cop, ends up Mm -hmm. meeting her. She touches his arm. He's marked. And then their living nightmare really begins. Yeah. Because she's coming for them. Yeah. So, okay. I feel like at this point, I was like half watching the movie. (laughs) I'm like not sure how committed I really was to it at this point. This was earlier this afternoon. I had just come back from a laser facial, which I already told you about in great detail. My face was peeling. I was sitting in the dark. I was watching La Llorone. And okay. So then we start having like frights come into the house. right yeah um the kids are getting marks on their body yes yes the kids are getting marked on their body it's manifesting as these like hand because she's she grabbed them by the wrist to like mark them in the spirit world and it's showing up as like pustules and burns so Mm -hmm. they they go to school or something somebody sees it they end up calling child protective services yeah. and her co-worker has to come to the house humiliated yeah including the guy that she like kind of likes yes is like watching over the social worker who's talking to the kids they're both there I yes guess. which is like devastating to her yeah and again played beautifully mm-hmm <laughs> Um, I would say, yeah, some of this, uh, gets a little hazy for me as well, because she goes goes to the prison where their mother is being held and the character's name is Patricia and the actress's name is Patricia, which love it, love it, makes it easy on everybody. Uh, but then Patricia says this very creepy thing of like, I prayed for her to come and get your boys. So then it's like, there, it becomes this like chain of vengeance. And I, I thought like there was, there's something like really cool and weird and creepy in, in here that's away from like the ghost stuff just in terms of the relationship between these two women. And I, it made me wonder what the original, it made me wonder more what the original idea was. I thought this was a great scene. This to me felt like something that the actress, who Patricia, the actress who plays the other mother who lost her children would have been really excited to get to do. This felt like a scene that somebody would take like when you do like a scene study or something yeah. and they like take scenes from a movie, like this would be one or like in your like freshman or like your high school filmmaking class or whatever, they'd be like, okay, you're going to recreate this scene. And it just felt like a good, like fun, meaty scene for actors that they would like love to play. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Very satisfying. Yeah. They both nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Um. And yeah, I think I agree with you that this is also, that's also something that's like a total departure from like the conjuring 
like ethos or like the main like it's not really some it's like different from what you'd see in a normal conjuring movie because there's I mean all of the humans in the conjuring movies are so completely innocent even the farmer and his wife that we deem responsible for the Annabelle killings (laughs) ultimately responsible by like summoning the devil or whatever like they're all basically innocent and like the only thing that's really bad is the demon right and I don't think that this woman is bad she's like she's complicated and motivated by grief and jealousy and rage and like a sense and like a desire for vengeance or whatever but that's those are human things those are like dark aspects of like humanity like the of like a normal scope of like human emotion and I feel like it's better that there's a character that has something more complicated than just being like well I went to church and then my daughter died and now I'm possessed by the devil like something that's like a little bit more like because yeah, like human yeah and like one of the things that I do like about the the other conjuring movies is that sort of like there's like a I think we're both picking up on like a camp element, definitely, especially with um, Patrick Wilson. And like, I feel like part of it is that like very like black and white, almost like 1950s, like dealing with like all of the characters. Like there's so, there's like no complexity at all. And everybody is just like good and nice. And like everybody's dream and goal in life is just to like marry someone of the opposite sex and then like have children. Like that's, that's the best thing. And also be super religious. Like that's it. Like what else would you possibly want out of your life? And like, there's just something like silly about that. And then here's this movie where it's a woman with like a career that isn't being either being like a ghost hunter who assists her husband and like serves God. The other women in the Conjuring movies besides that, besides um, Lorraine are just like homemakers. That's everybody's job or maybe, or they're nuns or like possibly maybe like a high school or elementary school teacher or something. There's like really, they they have these jobs that are just like, women don't do that and aren't forced to do that stuff anymore exclusively. <laughs> yeah, just like the traditional feminine jobs. But yeah. I, I felt like having her have this job uh, and being a single mom and she's like forced because of her career to bring her children to the scene of a crime which makes them vulnerable and like ends up bringing all of the um you know bad stuff that happens later is because (laughs) she didn't she either was working the job or didn't have a partner that could like take care of the kids or whatever like she failed in some sort of female task (laughs) I yeah I mean I I get yeah I can definitely see that and like I can definitely see that being like the point of view of like the conjuring universe but like she I also felt like that's like a real struggle of if you have two kids and you're alone you're gonna end up taking your kids to work I mean that just happens um and if you have like a really high-risk job like that um like fucked up stuff can happen you know I I thought that that was I guess I didn't really see that as like in it I mean it was an inciting incident but I didn't see it as like a moral 
problem like I didn't see it as like a fatal flaw in her that she brought her kids to I I didn't see it that way either and I I loved it and I think that this is like probably the most it's it's like one of the more nuanced movies in terms of like the um motivations and like the feelings you see expressed by the characters but um when it happened I was like mm, working woman what yeah. happened if uh <laughs> yeah if she had just stayed home just <laughs> and not gotten involved because wow. they they also like that opinion is expressed at the be- beginning of the movie with her supervisor who wants to give this case to the other woman in the office and mm-hmm. it's like well you're overworked like you have too much stuff going on and she's like no no I can do it <laughs> yeah I you're yeah totally I, um, this made me think about this. My mind went to a really dark place. Did you see the Netflix series about Gabriel Fernandez? No, I couldn't watch it. I read about that case when it was happening and it really uh, stressed me out and really upset me. And I can't sit in that headspace for three hours or whatever. It was incredibly, incredibly devastating. Um, and it, it's also, it's also happened in Los Angeles. It's this, like, I'm not sure how many episodes there are of it. It's a documentary about this really tragic case of this child who's being abused in LA and how all, like many, many systems of government uh, failed him, like, and, um, I think if it wasn't produced by the LA Times, like there's like an LA Times reporter who's very prominently featured who like I I'm I think contributed to it or like it was covered in the LA Times pretty extensively. And um part of the problem is just that the um social workers are so incredibly overworked that they just they don't do what they're not competent they're not I mean this isn't every single social worker but like in that case and I'm sure in many many others they can't really provide like an adequate like service to these families where kids are in a lot of danger and you know it's totally possible for kids to like fall through the cracks and they generally have an idea that it's always best to like keep a kid in their home with their parent as as for as long as possible which makes sense um but there are times when that's just not the case anymore that that's the best thing to do and that got just like totally overlooked and just it's like a really tragic story but I couldn't stop thinking about it in the first half of this movie because I mean just because it's like an LA social worker and she's completely overworked um that was just what I was thinking about for all of this. So when when he said something to her like, oh, well, you have so many cases and she's like, no, I can do it. I was just thinking like, oh, social workers are all so overworked and they all have too many cases. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, um, that makes sense. Yeah. It, that's so, it, it's so sad. That's such a sad story. It's really, tri- and in that case, I think, that the social workers who were signed to him, I think they were all like had criminal charges for not removing him from the home. I think you're right about that. Um, 
which is an interesting aspect of it anyway yeah and you know with like of course like a big part of the argument for opening schools again and getting like kids in school is that whatever like toxic situation or abusive situation they were in at home like they don't have that escape now and they don't have eyes on them and reporting is down uh but like the severity of cases are up because there's just that like not that daily check-in thing yeah yeah just like makes your heart and stomach hurt yeah it's like very scary to think of all the people who are like not safe in their homes right now it really is Mm. yes um anyway this was a complete derailment from me to you and I'm sorry but that's just like what I was thinking so you have to say whatever you're thinking in on a podcast that's true you have to you have to Uh, interesting to know this was the lowest budget of all of the conjuring movies it only cost nine million dollars to make really yeah wow it's nuts it is nuts it did very well 123 million dollars wow that's great i guess that's why the director is getting another conjuring movie he also directed the um billy eilish video uh what did it it's like yeah it that video also has like a very spooky like horror movie feel to it yeah she's like hiding under the bed and then she's like got like the black eyes she's like walking around all scary down a hallway maybe dancing a little dancing a little walking and they're like putting syringes in her back and then she turns to the camera like thriller and she's got like yellow eyes and then he also used those yellow eyes on La Llorona and I was like I've seen those before okay I have a question about the ending okay I didn't understand it which part so at the end they're all cured of La Llorona they're fine they're seeing the former priest turned demonology expert off in a cab yeah very tender moment they're they live near echo park yeah we see echo park lake yes clear Um, encampments right well it was before whatever it was in the 70s um it was in the 70s yeah yeah I do love their house, by the way, before you get to the confusion about the ending. That home. Craftsman style. Gorgeous. Little bungalow. Beautiful. Dream. If you gave me one of those houses right now and you were like, it's haunted, I'd say, okay. I would be like, even better. Goodbye. (laughs) I don't care. God, I know. Where are these like dirt cheap haunted houses that people move into? They're always so beautiful. Oh, really quick. I've interrupted you twice, but. I also love the beginning of the movie when they run through the house over the girl's back. She's like running in and they're playing that music. They're like, oh, at the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like they're running through. It's like the way the first Conjuring movie is when they go all through the house. And I was like, oh, because we've talked about how these movies like reference other movies or other. Yeah. Like movements in like popular horror, horror 
films. Like, yeah. It's like, interesting that this was like referencing the first one. It's like, yeah. wow, the <laughs> is really eating its tail. Yeah, it really, really was. Um, okay, so it's the end. They're putting the guy in the car. The kids run in the house. Uh, Linda goes walking away. And then we see her reflection in a puddle. Uh-huh. And it's ominous, but nothing happens. And then that's the end. Yeah, that was a real head scratcher to me as well. Because I know whenever La Llorona sees her face, she freaks out. Like if she sees her reflection in the mirror, she's like, goes nuts. The mirror cracks or she screams or gets really violent. Yes. I guess I didn't really get what that all meant or like what what it meant that then we're seeing the mom's reflection. I didn't get, I didn't understand what was happening. I wasn't sure either. And I was like, oh, is it? because because La Llorona drowns her boys at the beginning and she's like tied to water she drowns them in a river and then like a pool is a big set piece in this and there's also like a thing in the bathtub and it's raining all the time so it's I was like is that a reminder of like the evil that lurks inside of every woman or (laughs) she like I don't know just think here's what it says on wikipedia um anna and her children thank Raphael for his help when he leaves anna sees what looks like a puddle of tears beside the road oh because if it's supposed to be a puddle of tears her tears presumably then it's like did they not actually kill her when they drove that fire tree stake into her blackened heart they maybe she just I don't know. I don't know either. It was a mystery. If anybody knows, tell us. Yeah, drop it in the comments. <laughs> yeah, drop it in the comments. What was the puddle? What's the significance of the puddle? It's her, it's tears. Okay. All right. Thank you. I, I'm I'm gonna say it's a reminder of the darkness that lurks in every woman's heart. Yeah. I mean, I just think that it what looks like a puddle of tears just like looks like any puddle I mean if there's like an insane amount of tears Uh, yeah could you tell a difference between that and a splash of street water no we couldn't I couldn't but I feel like La Llorona's tears have like that black tar in them oh her tears are like black yeah but they're also just like wet water tears because there's that scene where I guess Raphael is like scooping up the thing on there's like a puddle of mo- of wet on the side table and he's using a toothpick to like put it in the bottle and I'm like guys that is the best y'all could do yeah and he like wasn't doing a very good job of it and I just like imagined him just like standing there and then being like okay and like him just like doing it over and over and then like trying to make it look like he was doing it really hard by like really sticking the toothpick in the in the bottle and that is so funny I had these same series of thoughts and I I thought like they all got like they just there was a point where they were like, it's fine. We got it. We're moving on. And yeah. then they were like, wait a second. What the, f- why is it like this? <laughs> yeah. And then there's nothing you can do about it. And that's nope. what you have. And that's it. It's just the toothpick. The And it's, 
I mean, I guess we had to see him collecting the black tar tears. We had to see it, but then also later on, it was like a full vial of tears and also led to my favorite line of the movie, which was, these are the tears of La Llorona. I sanctified them. And Linda Cardellini says, why? And he goes, anti-venom. And then it cuts to black. And I was like, you guys, that's a bathroom break for me. <laughs> anti-venom. Anti-venom. And then he does throw them in her face like it's wow. holy water. Oh, and then he also says he filled the pool up with holy water. Do you remember that? That was another, that's I like that part. Well, could he just turn the whole pool into holy water? If he prayed over it enough? Yeah. I guess so. In any, it can all be holy water. Yeah. And why shouldn't it be? I can't think of a reason why not. What are the rules for holy water? Like, does it have to be fresh water? Do you have to be able to drink it? What are the restrictions? Uh, I don't know what the rules of holy water are. I just know that like when you go up to a Catholic church, it's there in the- uh, big, like, like a, Yeah. And uh, you can fill up your little holy water bottle with yeah. it if you because I used to have one of those when I was a kid you did yeah and I would wake up in the morning and bless myself I had like a little oh, that's so Virgin cool. Mary, um you did it right <laughs> thanks <laughs> I, I, think, I think it is just like water that is blessed by the priest and it's water combined with salt okay salt water and then the salt and the water must both be ritually consecrated either together or separately in order for the water to be considered holy. So there you go. That is interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that salt was a part of the equation. Uh, and some other types of holy water can uh, contain anointing oil, wine, or even ashes. There's different, very witchcrafty. This is like, these are the pagan roots of Catholicism shining through. I love that. I do too. That's why I like Easter. Yeah. Did you have a good Easter? I mean, sure. <laughs> I ate a Cadbury um, cream egg and I watched um, Only Lovers Left Alive. Well, that's good. Yeah. So a little bit of the undead on the day of the ultimate undead the ultimate yeah ultimate zombie <laughs> jesus christ did you see the movie mama it was like another pg-13 horror movie uh it came mm -hmm. out no i didn't but i saw the short that i think that there was a short before it was a yeah and i feel like i saw the short but i never ended up seeing the full length i read in vanity fair that that was also based on the same uh this same urban legend of La Llorona. It's pretty different, but that's part of the fun of urban, of myths and legends. Like they can be interpreted in wildly different ways. That one, I I don't totally remember, but I'm pretty, I think it's about like these two kids that are found in a cabin and put into like foster care with this couple who, uh, are then tormented by this 
demon that was like raising these kids in the woods as her own and not like wants them back um Ooh, which is good. I know it's like a really scary premise I can't I know I definitely saw the movie I don't remember it that well but um it's still good that sounds good there was another La Llorona movie that came out in 2019 um and I didn't see that did you happen to see it's a Guatemalan film oh I no I didn't but I I saw that there were like several um Mexican versions of it also some of them were I think one of them was from like the 30s really yeah there's a 1933 Mexican film called La Llorona and a 1963 Mexican film called something else that I'm not going to try to say it's called but in English it would be the curse of La Llorona which is what this movie is called there and yeah there are several others wow it would be cool to see the one from the 30s yeah the images uh look very creepy oh I bet oh also I'm sorry I'm wrong I would love to see this 1933 version of it me too I'm sure we can I'm sure we could get our little mitts on it and watch it yeah I'd like to see the 63 version too yeah we should watch all the other old versions of this movie or versions of the story yeah that would be cool yeah um awesome well i mean overall did you like it yeah i liked it me too um yeah it's kind of a weird one it's kind of departure from the you know typical conjuring see you but it was a bit of a refresher a palate cleanser yes it took us to a new coast it introduced us to a new myth that we hadn't heard before it was like hey there are a lot of things out there not just valak and there's the poor decisions that echo through time it's poor decisions echoing through time I mean, the La Llorona, La Llorona definitely made some bad decisions in her life. She and she's been paying for it ever since. Well, <laughs> well, Aggie. I think we ta- I think we said all we have to say about this movie. I don't know if it was that much, but we said stuff. We definitely did. I know. I think I think we we covered some ground tonight. We sure did. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening to the experts. Mm-hmm. We have. Bye. Rate and review. Please, thank you. We're gonna go with them.